Good morning. If you have a Bible, I want you to flip over to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be continuing in there. As you are moving there, I'm going to use this thing so I don't knock this over. So my years of ministry, I got to know some pretty amazing people. And one is this gentleman in particular who, when I met him, had already faced, battled, gone through uh, numerous diagnoses of cancer in his life. And when I met him at that time, it was in remission. But during one of the bouts that I got to watch him go through, the doctors, the nurses, the visitors, and anybody who came to see him, when they would leave that room that he was in in the hospital, they would remark at his joy at his peace amidst the suffering and the circumstances. And when they would ask him, he would utter these words, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's a victorious declaration. You'd see him, his body weaken, and he would utter these words and it would almost see, seem like, Like power and strength was filling in him as he uttered these words. It revealed his hope, his trust, where it was planted, his joy, where he was looking to, the the, the satisfaction that was in store for him. And I want us to consider that this morning. What does it mean to live or die for profit? Paul writes this letter to this church that he planted, to a body that he loves. He's in custody waiting for Caesar or somebody from Caesar's palace to define whether he will live, be pardoned, or whether he will die. And as he's doing that, he's writing this letter to this church and some other churches. He's had the opportunity to share the gospel, even with the guards or the other prisoners or the people in the area that have left an impact on those people so much that Paul can say, the gospel's advancing. Even though I'm in change, the gospel is advancing. And so we read these words from Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. Says this, yes, and I will rejoice. Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for this is far better. But to remain in the flesh is far more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, For your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Lord God. 
Help us to grasp the reality that the life that we have now is not our own if we are in you. That we are called to pour out our lives in the pursuit of you so that you would be magnified whether we have breath to breathe or whether we breathe our very last. Let our whole life point to the great and glorious Savior. Lord, I ask that you would be with us this morning as we look at this text, that we would be challenged, but that we would also see that there's hope here. There is a good thing, that we have opportunity. I pray that you would help us to continue to grow in our pursuit of you, that we would make much of your name. So help us, Lord, in this. Because apart from your work, it would be impossible. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul reaches out to them and he says, thank you for praying. Your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit are helping me. Helping him to do what? To have hope that he would not be put to shame. To have courage and boldness to stand and and to preach and to proclaim the gospel. To honor God with his whole body. He uses the word deliverance there. And I think it's interesting because the, the, the word used there is used by Paul generally in regards to not deliverance as in, hey, I got to get out of jail. But deliverance as in God is our deliverer. He is the one who sets us free. He is the one who carries us all the way to the end. So I think as Paul is writing of deliverance, I think he's talking possibly about both Things It seems in verse 25, he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain, that I won't die, and I will continue. Notice he doesn't say, God told me this. I think this is what Paul believes is going to happen. Doesn't necessarily mean that's what will happen. But the focus this morning that I want us to look at is what does it mean to live or die for profit? What does it mean to live or die for gain? This is this is what we're going to look at. What does it mean to live or die for profit? How is Christ honored in our body wherever we are, whatever the circumstance we find ourselves in? So let's start with living because that's where Paul starts. He says this, if I live, it's in Christ. But the way it would actually be better translated is would be Paul saying, and to live, Christ. If I'm to live, it's, it's to make much of Christ. So church, I pray that we would live, that Christ be magnified For to me to live is Christ. Paul is saying, if if I'm to live, the whole reason, the sole purpose is that Jesus' name would be exalted. He says in verse 22, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Well, what's the fruitful labor that he's talking about here? Well, he writes a few verses later on. Verse 25, he says to them that, that you would grow, that you would progress in your joy. There's, there's things that this church still needs to mature in. And it's not just this church. Paul writes to other churches while I'm in prison here. 
they're not done. There's more they can grow in. We know later on, if you were to read a letter that Paul writes later to the Romans, the Roman letter is a missionary letter. Because Paul hopes to not just help these churches, but he still has work to do. He wants to go and plant churches in Gaul, modern day Spain in that region, Spain, Portugal, that area. And so he's saying, if I'm to live, there's a reason for it. It's for your good, for the church's good. It's for the, the good of future brothers and sisters who will come into the faith, knowing Jesus Christ is, is the only way to find salvation and, and victory over sin. There's, there's a purpose here. There's a job that I have. Notice that the profit that Paul would obtain really isn't for himself. It's for the sake of others. It's for the sake of the name of Jesus. Paul wants them to grow in progress and joy. That's a a rough thing to put on a pastor's shoulders. Because in some ways, my job is to help you grow in your progress, in your faith, and in joy. There should be some proportionate value here, right? So as you grow in your understanding and maturity of who Jesus is, there should be a proportionate value. Your joy should be growing along with that. Because the more you get to know who God is, the more reasons you have to find joy in them. Perhaps you've experienced this in other areas of your life. You you come to enjoy some sort of sport or maybe you come to enjoy some sort of, uh, you know, uh, man or or woman that you you, you find attractive or you find interesting. And and there's there's joy there. But the more you get to know the details of the sport or the the instrument that you play, there's, there's greater joy that grows there. I have more joy in my wife now than I did when I first met her. And I was pretty joyful when I met her. And she said, yeah, okay, I'll hang out with you like there is more joy because as I got to know the depths of who she is I see her I grasp more richly who she is and that's what Paul is saying I want you to progress not just in knowledge but I want you to progress in joy are we joyful when we get to know God like when when we unlock another door and we come into another room and we get to see more of the glory of God does that spark in us joy that's the job that we have If we are living. And this is what Paul is about. This is what he's saying. I have have fruitful labor. Paul writes that if God ordains that I continue to live. It would be so that others would have ample cause and reason. To glory and delight in their Lord. His labor is to magnify Christ. A little bracket here a little side note i want to be sure i'm clarifying what i say by magnify when i say magnify i'm not talking about a microscope that takes like a single cell creature and makes it big i'm talking more like a a telescope right that takes the galaxy something that's huge and helps us to see it that's what it means to magnify the name of christ we're taking something big not something small making it big we're taking something big and making us able to see it better fuller clearer 
So that's what Paul is saying is my mission in my life, if God would give me another breath to breathe, is to make his name magnified. These verses reveal an inner struggle in Paul, though. To live his gain, to live his Christ, but die his gain as well. Which I should choose, I should not know. I'm hard-pressed between the two. I'm, I'm not sure which one I want. He wants to be with the Lord, yet he also knows that there's more for him to do. Both are good things. And we'll get to the dying part in just a moment. But let's ask ourselves, what does it mean to live is Christ? What's it mean to live for Christ? It means that Jesus is the center of our life. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's saying, I'm all about Jesus. That's what I'm about. To live as Christ means that Jesus is your hope. The apostle also writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Far be it from me to boast, right? To put my confidence, to put my hope in, in myself or something else. Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me. The world isn't what I'm about anymore. The things of this earth are not where I find my hope been crucified to me. It means that Jesus is his joy. Philippians 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. His hope and his joy is in Jesus. It means that the wisdom he declares is Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Man, Paul, you seem to be all about Jesus. And he says, yes, because there's nothing better to be about. If we find breath to live, let our lives be lived, that Christ would be magnified, church. I want to point out that this statement that Paul gives us to, to magnify Christ with our life is not a call to just coast through life. We, we call the name of Jesus on Sunday mornings, but the rest of life, we're just kind of going with the flow, coasting through life. There's, there's a proactiveness to it. There's a, there's a step to advance it. There's, there's work, there's labor, but it's joyful labor because it's making much of Jesus's name. Ask yourselves, who or what does your life magnify? If you were to be pricked, what would pour out from you? Living is not the sole means by which Jesus' name would be magnified. The apostle also writes, to die is gain. To depart and be with Christ is far better. Death for the Christian is the great deliverance from the sin and the brokenness that's found in our own hearts and is found in the world around us. We look knowing that God has promised to deliver us. I want to remind you here that, that this isn't some sort of discouraged statement. 
Paul isn't saying this in spite of death. Rather, he sees death as a means to gain profit. It's advantageous to him to die. What does it mean to die that Christ be magnified? Brother, sister, in your life, what does it mean to die that Christ would be magnified? I want to clarify something here before we go further. Neither Paul nor me this morning are are propagating suicide. Paul's not saying it's better to be with Christ, so let's just end it all right now. It's not at all what he's saying. And if you're not sure of that, all you do is look back three words and you will see where he's saying to live is gain. But which is it, Paul? Well, if you're alive, live for the glory of God. If you die, die for the glory of God. Don't go trying something stupid, right? So I'm not propagating. Paul's not propagating suicide here. Also want to point out, I'm not saying be foolish with your life and do dumb things that might put it in danger. That's not what Paul's talking about. Instead, he is calling us to face death and to prepare for it in a way that's going to magnify Christ. The reality is we might profess the supremacy of Christ in all things, yet we frequently live for the world, don't we? We live for these things in the here and now. We live in a way that probably if people looked at your life, they might say, it seems like your joy is not found in Christ. It's actually found in your bank account. Or it's found in vacation because that's the only time you ever have a smile on your face. Or it's found in fill in the blank. Right? We could could put so many things here. reality is, is most of us live our lives like we're atheists. We act like there's no God in the daily ins and outs of life. I knew a woman who on multiple occasions, she would gather with other godly women and they would sit and they would talk and she would share this sentiment of Paul's. When they would come to a passage like this, she would say something like, man, I can't wait to die. I can't wait to get away from this world. And the retort that would be returned to those statements by godly women, by godly brothers and sisters would be, wait, well, hold on here. Don't you want to see your kids grow up? Don't you want to see your, your, your daughter or your son walk down the aisle and get married? Don't you want to have grandkids? Which, of course, she would say, yeah, of course I want to see that. But Jesus is better than even that. Does our life proclaim that? Do we say that, yeah, I'm not saying the things of the world are all evil, but I am saying that none of them are as good and as great and as glorious and as magnificent as the presence of my Lord and Savior. Does our life say that? It's, it's, it's amazing how we want to say verbally that to die is gain, but our life seems to say something else. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Do you understand the infinite gain in death? Have you ever 
actually stopped and pondered this. There's profit. Oh, the gain of death. To propose in, in full righteousness, to be completely free of sin and its bondage, both in dwelling in our own lives, but also the outward collateral damage of it. What profit death has for the Christian? No more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. Only the full satisfaction, the shalom, the wholeness that is to be had when we stand and are fully united in the full presence of our great treasure, our great joy. The only thing that satisfies our hearts because it's the thing our hearts were made for. Oh, the gain of death because we get God. Is God worthy of this? Do we live like this life is the best life now? Is Jesus better than the present circumstance? Is he greater than the things of this world? Do you know the hymn? And the things of earth will go strangely dim. What makes those things go dim? Something far glorious, something far greater, something brighter, better, more soul satisfying. It's really hard to cling to something and then look to Jesus and say, yeah, this is better. Then you don't see who your savior is. Because when you do, you'll let go of these things and you will say, oh, the glory soul satisfying the joy and the peace that's found there I'll let go of this life I will let go of all the things it has even the very breath that is given to me they are just merely barriers withholding me from the full presence of my Lord and Savior have you ever heard the phrase they're so heavenly minded they're of no earthly good well, that's just plain stupid, isn't it? It's just the dumbest statement ever. Because if you think about the people who have had the greatest impact for the kingdom of God, or you think about people who maybe have impacted you, they likely were heavenly minded, so much so that they were willing to pour out their lives, give their time, give their energy, give their finances, pour out their very life, maybe. Why? Because their mind was set on Christ. He's far better than the life that they have. That's why they were willing to do these things. I think of the, mar- the, the martyrs who, who pour out their life. Not sadistically. There's not some morbid way. But what drives the martyrs to sing songs as they are being marched to the gallows? What drives the martyrs to pray, Lord, forgive them. They do not what they do as the flames continue to encroach and the heat rises to burn them at the stake. What, what drives the martyrs to say he is far greater than this breath as the finger is pulled on the trigger? It's because they know who their savior is. They understand that he far exceeds anything that this world has for them. If you have a Bible, flip over to 2 Timothy 
chapter 4. Look at what he writes here. Paul writes this to, to, to one of his beloved sons in the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he says this. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. I'm dying, he's saying. I'm pouring out my life to the point of death if need be. And the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which is the Lord. The righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved, loved. It's actually not the best translation there of loved. It should be more of a a present, perfect, infinite love. Love is appearing. It's those people who love him. Who see, I'm willing to pour out my life for him. That his name would be magnified. I love him. If I can get more of him today. If I can get more of him when I die. That's fine with me. Because I love him. It's those folks whose lives declare worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lord. When my friend breathed his last labored breath, his body succumbing to cancer, God was magnified. Even in the pain, and it was excruciating at the end there, his hope was in Jesus. He would never exchange one healthy day or 50 healthy years for one moment to be robbed of the presence of his Savior. Friends, you don't have to suffer and die in the end for God to be glorified in your death. You don't have to be a martyr. Christ can be magnified however God brings death to you. If you prize him over life. There's great gain, great profit to be received by the saints when we die. Do we believe that? Therefore, brothers, therefore, sisters, live that Christ would be honored in your body. Live that Christ would be honored in your body. Because if Christ isn't honored in your body now, he's not going to be honored at your death. Can I be honest with you? As a pastor, I do funerals. That's part of my job, right? And and, and, and sometimes I get to Know people who, who uh, through conversations with their family after they've passed away, I haven't known them in life. And you, you hear these stories and you hear these things about who they are and you know they're not a believer. And, and it's really difficult as a pastor to kind of do a funeral for someone that you know isn't a believer. And they want you to talk like this person was the greatest person in all there was ever to be to walk the face of this earth. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. 
And they have had no desire to make the name of Jesus known. They've never lived. They've never put their own hope, faith, life, salvation in him. And they want me to, 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 to propagate that he now is in this gentle embrace of his Lord and Savior. And I was saying he's not his Lord and Savior. He didn't live his life now. Why will you think that he's going to enjoy heaven with Christ? That's hard for a pastor because I'm going to have to make someone upset. Unfortunately, the people who are upset are the ones who are still alive sitting in the first couple rows of a funeral. But I'm going to make the name of Jesus magnified. So I'm not going to diminish what it means to be a follower of Christ so that these people can feel a little bit of false comfort and I'm not saying that to be mean. I say that because I want them to live now for the glory of Christ, not like the way their deceased one lived for themselves, for the world, for the flesh. Because the crux of the human life, the crux of the human life, the reason you exist is that Christ would be honored in you. Live that Christ would be honored in your body. Paul writes, live that he would be honored. That's what he's saying here in Philippians. It's not some sort of spiritual, ethereal thing. He wants Christ to be honored in a way that manifests in physical realm, manifests in the here and now. Is Christ honored in your body? And please let it not just be when you're here in this building on a Sunday morning. Is he honored in your body when no one's looking? Is he honored in your body when you're at work? Is he honored in your body when your kids do something stupid? Is he honored in your body when your kids do something amazing? Is he honored in your body when you're driving down the road, when you're listening to music? Is he honored in your body when you're in your room all at night and no one's awake and you're bored? Is he honored in your body? We have to ask ourselves, how, Paul, how do we have God honored in our body? I know I'm supposed to be the expert in this, but I'm growing in this as well. I'm still growing in this. And though we might lift up Paul as this amazing apostle, Paul was still growing in this. No follower of Jesus will ever cease growing and making much of Christ in their life. There's more to learn. There's more to surrender. So how do we do this? I think we get a glimpse of this a little bit in this text here. Paul starts out in verse 19. He says, for I know that through your prayers. Prayer is doing something here. The prayer of, of the Philippian church is, is doing something in him. So we should pray. Pray for others. Pray for ourselves. Lord, help me to make much of you in my life. Pray for others. Help, you, help them to make much of you in their lives. Okay, so there's prayer. Then he goes on. He says, and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ. We need God if we're going to live for God. Isn't that interesting? We need God if we're going to live for God. 
Too many of us, we want to, I want to live for God. Let me say God part here. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to be better. And God's saying, I'm giving myself to you to do these things. Stop doing them by yourselves. Because if you do them by yourself, who gets the glory? Not God. You do. So prayer, but also the spirit. But here's where I think it gets really great. To live that Christ would be honored in your body demands that you pursue joy. If you want God to be honored in your life, pursue joy. That's the duty of the Christian. Your job, Christian, is to seek the most joy you can seek. That's a command, right? Paul, Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's a command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's a command. Not all commands are bad. Some of you already know this about me, but you'll come to learn, and I do this in sermons a lot. Ice cream is a joy to me. And if my mom ever commanded me, eat your ice cream, I'm not like, oh, I'm fine. Because there's always room for ice cream. It's a joy. If God is commanding you to pursue joy, why would we say no? He's commanding us to pursue joy. The fact is God wants you to be joyous. Christians, we are giving a bad name to Jesus because we walk around like, it's your follower of Jesus. Life is boring. Life's full of rules. There's no joy. Pursue joy. Your heart will find satisfaction and joy in its Savior, in its Lord. Work hard to get more of Jesus because you'll have more of joy. Pursue it. When you're eating ice cream, praise the Lord that you have taste buds because they have no purpose in giving nourishment to your body. Why do you think God gave you taste buds? So that he would be glorified. When I came out to candidate, it snowed and everyone's like, Michigan's great in the summertime. Why do you think God gave Michigan summer? It's not for hunting and fishing and kayaking and all these other things. It's so that God would be glorified and be like, praise God, life still exists. The sun comes out. (laughs) Glory to God. Praise God that he is about your joy. I want you to be enthralled with God because that's where joy is found. Everything that he has given us The things of earth that are meant to go strangely dim are all things that are actually meant to point us to the joy. Because when God is our joy, guess what you'll live for? Him. When God is your joy, guess what you're willing to surrender? Your life. Because he's magnified in all of it. Let us lean in hard and enjoy the Lord. Because he's enjoyable. To live that Christ would be honored in our life is to live for our great joy in him. 
It also helps us to do the hard parts, the dying to die every day, the dying to self, to die to the flesh, to put to death sin. We willfully do the hard things because there's joy on the other side of that. That whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. We're going to work for joy. Why? Because when we do, God is magnified. Church, Christ is magnified in his servants who are satisfied in his worth. Let us live with courageous hope rooted in the sovereign God who sits in the heavens and does all that he pleases. If he will have us to live another day, we're going to live that Christ is magnified. If death encroaches, we're going to die that Christ be magnified. Why? Because my joy is in him. And so if I live, I get to pursue him more. If I die, I get him. All to his glory. To live, to die, there's profit to be had. So let's live and die for profit. Knowing that the profit is the one that we live and die for. May his name be magnified in our lives. Let's pursue joy so that his name would be magnified in our lives. Let's pray. Father, it's hard. We often pursue fleshly, sinful desires because we think life is found in those things whether it's wealth, whether it's sexual gratification, whether it's pride, power, whatever it might be. So help us, Lord, to set our eyes higher, to to hold this life with open hands because we know something far greater is in store for us. Help us to be enthralled with you. Help us to find our joy in you. So whether circumstances are good or whether circumstances are bad, whatever it is, all is done for you. Because our joy is found when your name is lifted high. Our joy is found when your life is magnified in our own. Let us pursue joy. Let us pursue the profit of of having our greatest treasure, Christ, in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, when we have not done that. So, Lord, we pray, pour out your spirit upon us. Deliver us from our own sinfulness. Deliver us from the shackles of this world. Deliver us from the pursuits of false joys, momentary, fleeting joys. So that we see you rightly and we delight in you. We make much of your name. Lord, give us life. Because we have a job. We have a great responsibility that others would know the joy of salvation in Jesus Christ. But help us also to prepare for death. That we are willing to surrender this life and all that it promises for a far greater promise. The presence of Christ Jesus forever and ever. We pray this in his Glorious name.